Can you believe that the most expensive haircut, and there is a Guinness World Record for this, is £8,000? But there is a very strategic reason why it's super important that all businesses, um, big and small, have some kind of expensive product. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm going to explain why. You're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back. So what? Uh, here we are again. Uh, it's the Fearless Business Podcast, um, as you know, because you've just listened to the introduction. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about, uh, well, I talk a lot about pricing, but today I'm actually going to be talking a little bit around the psychology of why it's important or the, what, what the surprising benefits are of having an expensive product in your product armory, your suite of core products um, for your business. Because there are a number of reasons why having an expensive product is quite beneficial, irrespective of whether you even sell any. Um, psychologically, there are some very good reasons behind um, how a attractive and expensive product can make your brand look overall, um, irrespective of whether anybody buys the ex- most expensive product or not. Um, and I'm going to just kind of go through um, some of the reasons why, some, just some random thoughts around um, uh, expensive products. I'll use some anecdotes and examples of where businesses, um, different well-known businesses, in fact, use um, expensive products um, for their benefit. And, and also a couple of just um, studies which have been done around um, how people perceive expensive products as well. So one of the first places to start, actually, and this was um, uh, an example, which um, I think I read it in Insider magazine recently. Um, but there's there's just some simple psychology around, like, behind why we like expensive things. And um, the, the very simple thing is the price. Sometimes the price just makes us feel good. And we have this, if you think about it, if you were to get a, take out a £5 note and a £50 note, and I do this experiment quite a lot when I'm um, speaking in front of live audiences. I'll get out a £5 note and invite people to do a transaction around a table with the £5 note. And then I'll get them to do exactly the same tra- set of transactions for the same things, but with a £50 note. And it's quite remarkable the difference in people's behavior when the £50 note, now, note cam- comes out. So, for example, quite often I'll, somebody will actually like let out an audible, ooh, so they'll be like, you know, and the reality is, like, there's nothing different between a £5 note and a £50 note. There are two bits of paper or plastic nowadays um, with the Queen's head on it and some numbers and writing and things like that. But it's about the um, the feeling or emotion which we project onto that £50 note when we see it. And the reason quite often people's reactions differ is because £50 notes are more rare than a £5 note. So, um, you know, it's typically drug dealers and builders who um, use £50 notes. And I'm neither, by the way, I should probably add that in. Um, But 
it's a really good exercise actually to go down to your bank and um, withdraw um, not just one, but maybe a couple of £50 notes and put them in your purse or your wallet and walk around with them. Periodically, get the £50 notes out and just see how you feel about it. And quite often, your feeling or emotion is slightly heightened because of the fact that you've got this um, pound note in your wallet, um, you know, this this currency in your wallet that uh, you don't see very often. And it's a bigger number than a five. It's got a, it's got a zero on the end of it, so £50. So it's, it's worth a bit more. I've even had people, when I do um, the talk with the £5 versus £50, um, exercise. Literally during the during the middle of the exercise, they'll um, fold up the fifty pound note, put it in their pocket, and try and walk out of the um, the room where I've been speaking. You know, par- partly in jest, but equally, um, you know, there's something going on there. What it comes down to is that there's almost this placebo effect going on when it comes to um, more expensive products, and the pl- placebo effect, as we know, is based on. Um, the thoughts and emotions that we project out into the the wider world onto things, okay? So if you think about, um, but there's also the experience as well. So if you were to think about um, flight, you know, going going on on a flight, um, sitting in cattle class versus business class or first class, well, I mean, the experience is going to be quite different, isn't it? Because one, if you go first class or business class, you're going to have, you're going to be able to lie down flat. You're going to get you know, some bubbles as well, some, you know, slightly better food, perhaps. It's not as cramped. There's not as many people in there. It feels like it's a calmer atmosphere. So the whole experience is quite different. But even just the mere thought of between traveling first class versus cattle class, um, you know, there's this placebo effect going on. The thought of traveling first class, it makes you feel better. Um, and so uh, another example around this is, um, and I think there was a study on this, there was um, a taste test between two two bottles of wine they were basically the the same exactly the same price so they were both about 15 pounds in terms of their value 15 pound bottles of wine um so same in terms of value but then um what they did with the um the the taste test is they put different price tags on each of the two bottles of wine and and this is kind of to back up what i was saying earlier on so um they put two different price tags on there one was more expensive than the other and lo and behold more people selected the more expensive bottle of wine as the premium bottle of wine um and all they had to go on was the price didn't realize that these were two similarly priced bottles of wine when they then switched they were actually two different bottles of wine i should add as well two different varieties so then they switched the labels around so they took the cheapest the one that was marked as the cheapest and put the expensive label on it and vice versa and a really surprising thing happened more people then chose the other bottle of wine as in the one that was now marked as expensive that had previously been marked as cheap as the premium wine the better wine so it goes to show that price does have a massive influence on what people actually think about your products and your services irrespective of whether people buy the more expensive one or not and this is quite an important delineation to make um so if you think about, you know, if you go and buy, um, for example, a mobile phone, um, take the new iPhone, I think um, current pricing wise, um, the new iPhone 13, not the max one, but just the standard iPhone 13, I think the, the smallest memory, 128 gigabyte memory is £949. Then you get the 512 gigabyte memory, which is about £1,249. And then you can now get a terabyte um, telephone, which is pretty cool, mobile phone, uh, 
telephone that's so archaic isn't it it's a mobile phone um a one terabyte iphone now is 1449 pounds now the 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 profit margins on those is huge because it actually realistically it doesn't cost that much more nowadays to make a one terabyte drive as it does to make a 128 gigabyte drive certainly not an extra 500 pounds but our perception is that somehow that one terabyte iPhone is bigger, better, and, uh, you know, worth more, like signif- significantly more than its um, smaller memoried um, friend. So, but also, you know, Apple don't sell that many of those one terabyte iPhones because most people will get the, the 256 or the 512, somewhere in between. Um, and won't necessarily go for the one terabyte one, but it, when somebody does go for the one terabyte one, it's, you know, they have a specific need for it um, and they make much more profit out of it. What it does do, though, is when you have a, a one terabyte phone for £1,449, it kind of makes the £949 phone, which is basically the same, it's just got a smaller memory. And, like, I can't, like, I doubt that many people use more than 128 gigabytes these days. I suppose if you're doing a lot of video, you will do. And it's got some awesome cameras on it. But that, what we see is we see that we're getting the 128 gigabyte one it's much more value for money that's what will tell us us more value for money because the one terabyte one's 500 pounds more so that's value for money um think about cars as well like at the end of the day a car is designed to get you from a to b but then when you have the r-line kit put on it and you know the gti badge slapped on the back and some nice alloys and this that and the other all of a sudden you know it adds a significant amount more onto the cost of the car the price of the car i should say um and it makes it more does make it more desirable but ultimately it doesn't necessarily change what a car is designed for which is to get you from a to b um you know when we live in a world as well especially here in the uk where you can only do maximum 70 miles an hour really does having a gti you know uh, having a those extra horsepowers and um the gti the r-line kit on your car make that much of a difference when you can't really do more than 70 miles an hour realistically anyway same with coffee as well. Um, you know, it's, it's this well-known thing where you have small, medium and large um, coffees if you go into a Starbucks or a Costa or whatever. Um, most people are, are, are go for the medium one because they feel that, well, medium one, I get an extra shot. So for the extra 20p or something is good value for money. But really, the large one is really there just to... Um, uh, uh, create a bit of a gap between the other two products and make it seem like the other two are kind of better value for money. I don't know if anybody's ever had a cost like like a large cup of Costa coffee. It's huge. I don't. Why would you need that much coffee? I bought one the other day and it was just like ridiculous. It was like a vat of coffee. Um, spent the rest of the day going to the loo. I'm sure you don't want to know about that. Um, so yeah. Um, a- another reason why a lot of businesses have um, higher priced products as well, and w- we can. By the way, I'm going to give some examples like how we can bring this back to small business um shortly but it's useful to hear all of the different um you know you've got some bigger businesses really which are kind of um leading by example and we can learn a lot from them so that's why i'm giving some more some more sort of commercial examples um or anecdotes um in this episode so next one is to communicate expertise so believe it or not costco in america sells a diamond for six hundred thousand dollars again how often is somebody going to walk excuse me, walk into a Costco and sell a 600,000 and buy a $600,000 diamond. 
not very often. But actually, what it does is it communicates that Costco is an expert in diamonds because they have got this ridiculously priced diamond up here. But a majority of people come in just to buy a sort of standard engagement ring or diamond ring for a wedding or, or whatever it might be. So, um, or diamond earrings or, you know, something at the lower end of the spectrum. But what it does do is it, it says it communicates to people that Costco is an expert in selling diamonds and it positions that the rest of the diamond selling end of their business in a better way. Um, another way is uh, to think about it as well of having a, an expensive product is prestige. So if you were to take a, a whiskey brand like Jack Daniels, where you've got Black Label, which is their standard, um, their standard whiskey, but then they also have something called Silver Select. Um, they used to have another another one as well, which I liked. So, you know, you get standard black label Jack, which is about 20, 25 pounds a bottle. Silver Select and the other one, which I'm thinking of, is around about sort of um, 50 to 80 pounds a bottle. But they also do something called Sinatra Century, which I believe is about 350, 400 pounds a bottle. So most people, again, wouldn't necessarily... Um, see, see Jack as being, Jack Daniels as being like a, to have, you know, um, it's a fairly commoditized sort of whiskey, but then um, all of a sudden when you see that there are versions of Jack Daniels which are that much more expensive, and, and I will add as well, like Silver Select, um, oh, Single Barrel was the other one I was thinking of. Single Barrel is a session whiskey. I mean, it's such a nice, smooth whiskey that, you know, um, you wouldn't mix it with Coke or anything like that. It's something which you would just have with a block of ice or a bit of water on its own and just really enjoy it. It's a, it's a good quality whiskey. So it just gives it this deeper level of prestige and and quite often what people will do is they may drink normal Jack Daniels. I'm not a big fan of normal like black label Jack, but people may drink that and then kind of upgrade into the more prestigious products. Um, another reason why businesses come up with ridiculous prices for things, um, if you look in the Guinness Book of World, World Records for the most expensive haircut, you'll find that it's actually £8,000. Now, it wasn't just a one-off thing just to get in the Guinness Book of World Records, I'm led to believe. Um, what actually uh, has to happen is that they have to have this haircut on their menu of, of um, different services at the barbers um, for a select period of time. And I believe they also have to have not just necessarily sold one but have sold multiples of them so yeah the guinness world record for the most expensive haircut is eight thousand pounds so bit different um when i go down to see rich at brammels in cheltenham who does awesome haircuts by the way shameless plug for you rich i doubt he ever listens to my podcast um you know he charges 20 pounds a haircut and even that i think is you know good value because um he always offers coffee during christmas time he'll always say oh do you want to do you want a shot of whiskey in there as well um you get some good quality products in there and it's just a really nice experience he plays great music and the chat is generally quite good as well um you know so 20 pounds even for a haircut these days is, is on the more expensive side but i have a great experience but my point here is the £8,000 haircut, they actually used that to their advantage as barbers and they used it to create some publicity. And who knows, you know, um, there are probably people who go to have their haircut at that place because just on the basis that they have the, the, the Guinness World Record for the most expensive haircut. So probably actually they've made back that, you know, that I don't know how it worked out financially, but, you know, they must make a lot of business out of that um, just through having the, the free publicity of having a Guinness Book of World Records. Um, and the other thing as well is just to shift the wholesale brand image um, up, up the market. So what I mean by that is that... Um, well, I've done this through um, Fearless Business, for example. So I'm going to give you a bit of an insight now into um, how I how I look at um, have looked at my prices over the last five and a half years since I set the business up. 
So when I first started out, uh, I was doing mainly one-to-one coaching. Um, I had a maximum capacity for about 15 to 20 clients any one time. And I maxed out that capacity pretty quick um, because people wanted to work with me, which is great. Um, the only challenge I was left with then, so when you get up to, when you reach your capacity doing something like one-to-one coaching, and many people who are coaches, consultants, freelancers, you, you will recognize this in your business. You can't create more capacity because there's only so much time to be able to deliver a good quality service. So ultimately, what you have to do is you have to elevate your prices, increase your prices, because that then um, what it does is it says to the market, um, a lot of people do discounts and things to attract people into their business. But when you do a discount, actually, what it says is I've got a load of supply. I've got a load of my thing available now for you to buy because it's cheap and it's discounted. Um, And what that does is based on what we just I've been talking about in this episode, it actually makes it less attractive, not more attractive, which is why people put these ridiculous buy my shit type offers out there and then they don't get any customs customers for it. So what happens is when your capacity is full and you're forced to put your prices up, it elevates your brand. It, it brings your whole brand image like wholesale um, up a notch and it makes it more attractive because when you put your prices up, it signals to the market that you have less of it. It is a scarcer resource and therefore it should make it more attractive. Okay. So, so I put my prices up one to one. I'm still full. I put my prices up. I'm still full. And then I realized that I had a process behind my coaching program. So when I talk about productization of services, pricing, and something called lead flow, which is about sales, I have a process to deliver a specific outcome or results. And that was when I realized that it wasn't about me anymore, but um, Fearless Business as a brand, as a product, had this three-step process that can help businesses to grow. So um, at that point, we um, that was when I decided that I was going to start a group program. This is back in 2019. Now, my goal with the group um, was always to get it to a point whereby I was charging the same amount of money for group that I used to charge for one-to-one. And I did that in the space of about six months, believe it or not. So we just um, shifted gears through the pricing um, side of things. And it was it took us six months before our group prices were aligned with what my one-to-one prices used to be. Then what happens is... I can then increase my one-to-one prices It's even further still because um, that's now an even scarcer resource because actually I reduced the capacity on it. So you can see that then the whole image, brand image is then elevated through pricing, you know, your your entire brand higher um, and it shifts the way that people think about it. What we've discovered is that since we increased our prices, there was a a load of sort of knock-on benefits. The major benefits being that because it's more expensive, clients have to dig a little bit deeper to, um, you know, as a commitment for the, um, for fearless business, we found that our clients were more committed to the process. They were more committed to protecting their return on investment. Now we also have skin in the game because we're charging that much more for it. And so overall, our clients ended up getting better results the more we charged for it. You get better quality clients, they get better results. So everything just um, gets better the higher you price things. If you're if you're looking at your business thinking, well, I am quite full. There's a, there's um, a couple of ways that I want you to. Well, you can essentially Pareto your business, Pareto principle, so eighty twenty your business. Okay, there's a couple of different ways to do this. The first one is to eighty twenty your products. So if you've got too many products in your business and it's too complicated, and you're scratching your head going, "We're doing all putting all this effort in, and we're not getting paid the money which we feel that we deserve." Well, then what you need to do is eighty twenty percent 
uh, 80-20 your products and your business. What that means is you need to look at which of those products that you're selling are producing the um, greatest amount of profit and then remove the 20% of the products that are producing the least amount of profits in your business. Okay, And there may even be products you're selling. You don't realize it until you do this exercise, this cost exercise on your, your product base, um, that are actually losing you money. You just don't realize it because all the money is going into the same pot. When you start to look at products individually, you'll start to see that there are products out there which are losing you money. And what you want to do is you want to remove them from your product suite as quickly as you possibly can. The other thing to do, though, is to look at your client base and also 80-20 your client base. So I've done this with a um, number of businesses, mostly agencies and accountants this works quite well with. Um, but typically speaking, when you're 80-20 in accountancy practice, for example, um, you will find that there are 20% of your clients who are taking up 80% of your time. There'll be 20% of your clients who are producing 80% of your profits. Um, and there'll be a, a, a majority of your clients who are... Um, not bringing, they're either taking up too much time or not bringing in enough profit. And so what I always recommend to agency style businesses like accountants um, and like agencies, obviously, because they're agency size businesses, um, is to remove the 20% of the clients from your entire, from your business that are either taking up the most time or producing the least amount of profit. Uh, Whether that's in terms of recurring billing or maybe they're not buying products at all, maybe they're just asking for loads of help and support but not actually paying you for it. But yes, we want to, ultimately, we want to, um, well, you've got two choices. You can either remove them from the business or you have to manage their expectations, which means that they have to either, you know, start paying more or you have to manage their expectations in terms of them using up less support time. Um, So, yeah, so there you go. But um, the the other way to think of um, having expensive products is that, and and this is... um, uh, most people don't have like a super expensive version of whatever it is they sell. So think of a coach. Okay. Um, I mean, look at the end of the day, like everybody has a price and I have my, um, my group program for fearless business. We then have our one-to-one program for fearless business. But if somebody came along and they wanted to do, I don't know, a three day intensive with me, for example, like I have a price for that. If you ask me for it, I'll give you a price. If you wanted me to come and work with you for a month, there would be it'd be expensive, like seriously expensive, um, you know. But there is a price associated with that. Um, and and if somebody asks asks me, I will put out a super expensive price. And the thing is, like, the, I don't mind doing that. The reason why most people don't do that is because they just don't think that anybody will ever buy it, so they never put it out on the shelf for people to see it. Um, if you're not actually putting it out on the shelf, if you don't let people know that this is something which you do, what chance are they ever going to have to buy it? Um, and there was this great, um, uh, this really great internet marketer, a guy called Frank Kern. It's well worth checking out some of his videos. One of the things which he talks about, though, is um, about putting offers out there. Now, what he what he what he doesn't mean is like buy my stuff like type offers like every every man woman and their dog are out there marketing like buy my stuff buy my stuff buy my stuff he's not talking about that or buy one get one free he's definitely not talking about that sort of stuff what he's actually talking about is just tell people talk about and tell people what the next step is in your business if somebody wants to work with you what is the next thing that they should try if you can see that they have a big bleeding neck problem that needs fixing right now 
well, maybe that is the um, super expensive offer product that you need to put out on the shelf and start telling people about because nobody's going to be able to buy it until you start talking about it. Um, so I always recommend to people it's worthwhile when you're going through and creating three to five core products in your business that will satisfy a majority of the marketplace. The, the product you have, the third, fourth or fifth core product that you have in your, in your little suite of three to five core products will be a super expensive product that very few people will buy. But at least if it's there, you have the possibility and the potential to sell it. If it's not there, you can't sell it. Okay. So, um, so hopefully that's kind of made sense. So it's, it's, um, it's really important that you do have some kind of an expensive, like super expensive version of your offer. Um, there's an, there's another great book actually, which I'm going to recommend, which is called, um, detox, declutter and dominate. It's written by another great consultant over in the States called Perry Marshall. Um, and his, his business partner as well, as well, Robert Schraub. Um, in detox, declutter, and dominate, they've talked about some of the principles which I talk about in, in, in which I've talked about on this podcast episode. Um, one of the things which they also mention is something called the espresso machine. So, um, and I love I love the analogy in this because it's it's just so apt and so obvious um, when you think about it. So, if you walk into any Starbucks, you'll notice that on the counter behind um, behind where the, they're selling the coffee and beans and things like that, there's normally an espresso machine. And actually, what most people don't realise is that espresso machine has a price tag attached to it. Um, the reason why um, Starbucks have that espresso machine there is because they know that of their like. Out of every thousand raving fans, people who come in and buy coffee from them daily, at some point, one of those raving fans is going to walk into a Starbucks and say, I'll have my latte, I'll have a bag of beans, and I would love to have that espresso machine so I can experience the Starbucks experience at home. Um, that Starbucks mach- uh, uh, espresso machine is normally more expensive than if you were to, like, go, I don't know, go into Sainsbury's or John Lewis or wherever, like Amazon, wherever you buy your espresso machine from these days. Um, it's normally more expensive than most of the, the, even the premium brand espresso machines. And, but they know that it's going to make something ridiculous like, you know, the same net profit as 3,000 cups of coffee and sold in just about a similar amount of time. Um, you know, but people rarely, rarely go in and buy an espresso machine, but periodically they do. And you'll find them on their website as well, a Starbucks branded espresso machine. Um, so that kind of goes, it backs up what I'm saying there about making sure that you have some kind of a super expensive product and offer out there on the shelves for people to see, touch, feel, and potentially buy. Um, if you haven't even thought about it, go away and think about what that expensive product could be. If you're stuck for ideas, then do, you know, you can always touch base with me. Um, uh, if you want somebody to actually cast an eye over it and, and talk to you about kind of what a potential, you know, high ticket offer could be for your, your business. Um, and, and I haven't yet, maybe this is where I'm going to throw down the, um, the gauntlet here. I haven't yet found a business where you can't create, um, a super expensive, expensive espresso machine type product for your business. Um, most people can, where a lot of people get unstuck though, is they then want to go into the detail. They then want to get hung up on what are the features that go into making this product. And oh, I've got to go and build it and I've got to design it and this, that, and the other. Nope. You don't have to do any of that. Literally all you've got to do is come up with a concept and then start telling people about it. Um, if it's appropriate, if you feel that it's something which they need that can help them, um, you know, you don't have to go out and build it at all. If you then go on and sell one, then build it. Um, and there's nothing unethical or immoral about doing it that way around. It's just that why go out and build a product that maybe, maybe nobody will buy. Um, but 
hey, at least if you've got the idea of this, like, just remarkable product that offers, um, you know, a solution, like a really clear and specific outcome or result that somebody could buy um, and that you could potentially sell it, well, that's probably enough just to get started. So, but if you're stuck, if you don't know what espresso machine to build for your business, then reach out to me uh, through the usual channel of robin at robinwake.com. Um, hopefully you found this episode of the podcast helpful. If you have, don't forget to drop us a review on iTunes. It would be greatly appreciated. Um, and I will catch up with you all on the next episode. Okay.